I'm Jason Lewis. And I'm Thomas Mills. Welcome to Climate Optimus. As a couple concerned citizens, we're on a journey to explore climate solutions and ways each of us can make a difference. So unfortunately, we are without Flora again this week. She currently doesn't have much of a voice, but we uh, wish her a swift recovery and expect her back for our next episode. A quick uh, thank you to all our monthly supporters. As a nonprofit, your donations enable us to educate and empower people to make a difference on climate. And if you're listening to this and want to join our community supporters, head over to our website, climateoptimist.co, and click the donate button. Even $5 a month makes a big difference. So if you enjoy what you get from us, take a few minutes to become a donor. But if you're strapped for cash, tell your friends about us and rate us on your favorite streaming platform. Yeah, the reviews and the recommendations are, are important to, to reaching a wider audience. So take a moment and, and tell your friends and give us that, uh, that positive review. So if someone asked you to name your favorite protein-rich foods, you'd likely respond with some combination of animal and, and plant proteins like maybe chicken or fish or, or lentils or tofu, depending on what your, your tastes are. One item that you're not likely to hear, though, on most people's lists are insects. But it turns out that insects, like crickets, are actually a great source of protein as well as other nutrients. And unlike livestock that require large amounts of land and, and water and produce a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, insects have a very small environmental footprint. The question then becomes, what role might insects play in our food system going forward? But before we turn our topic of eating bugs, uh, let's talk about this week's reason for hope. Yeah, so the, the Chinese premier was recently in the US and uh, China has committed as part of this to include nitrous oxide and methane in its climate plan for the first time. They've also uh, agreed to curb some um, specific em methane emissions and work with the US to curb forest loss and cut down on plastic pollution. Um, we still need China to align with original Paris targets, but this is a step in the right direction. And um, we'll include the article from Routers in the show notes. Yeah, it does seem like a, a positive development, albeit incremental. Maybe they read my newsletter um, you sent out where I was talking about China's need to step up their, their climate ambitions. Yeah, I'll be interested to see, I don't know about you, Thomas, but what happens at the upcoming climate conference and whether there's some additional more concrete actions that, that come out of that. Yeah, look, I think any sign of cooperation between the big players like you know, China and the US, rather than this sort of hostility that we've seen in the past where it's like, well, you're already a developed nation, I'm a developing nation, screw you, uh, I'm going to keep polluting. Moving to this more mature position, I think is really positive because that will hopefully let us put some pressure on other nations to step up to the plate or risk these border adjustment tariffs, which hopefully will be the solution to a, a lot of these growing emissions in other parts of the world. Yeah, completely agree. And the, the cooperative approach always yields more benefit. So our guest today to help us dig into the world of insects as a food source is Sarah Schlafly. Sarah is the founder of Mighty Cricket, a next generation protein company with a mission to build a clean protein supply to sustain the world. After receiving an accounting degree from Truman State University, Sarah launched a career in food. She founded a nutrition and cooking school in North Carolina, was featured as Inc. Magazine's military entrepreneur, 
and received an award from Wharton School of Business for her social enterprise. In her spare time, Sarah enjoys backpacking, rock climbing, skiing, and exploring the outdoors. Sarah, welcome to Climate Optimists. Thanks for having me. So to kick things off, when it comes to efforts to address climate change, what makes you hopeful? Well, I see a lot of innovations happening in the space, everything from bug-based protein like we're doing to um, the lab-made meats. And uh, I operate in the food space, so everything that I kind of watch is about food trends of where where are we going and where do we need to be in terms of climate resiliency. And in the food industry, I, there's a lot of research and development dollars being spent on solving this problem of uh, global food shortages due to climate change. So seeing all of this activity come about makes me really hopeful. And then also seeing Gen Z and our newest generation alpha just really lean into solving and like putting their dollars behind products that are more, being marketed as more sustainable. You know, they really have a passion for it. That makes me hopeful for change for the future. Yeah, they do tend to prioritize that more than, you know, me being like a Gen Xer. Um, I obviously prioritize it, but it seems like Gen Z especially is very tuned into that sort of thing. Well, let's start out for those who may not be, you know, tuned into it. What what are sort of the challenges with kind of animal-based proteins um, in terms of our climate? Yeah, the biggest challenge is that conventional livestock requires so many... Uh, natural resources that are unsustainable. So our current food system is designed to support about 4 billion people, and we're already at eight over 8 billion people on the planet. We have enough resources according to certain studies. We can sustain 10 billion people on this planet. And our food system is just not designed to do that because our conventional livestock protein sources are so resource intensive amongst other practices that are um, destructive for our environment. But livestock, it takes the biggest toll on um, our climate. So in essence, there's there's the issue of the emissions that, like, let's say livestock create um, in producing, you know, a hamburger, if you will. And then in addition to that, you know, the consumption of water, the amount of land it takes, all those sort of things. When you compare a pound of cricket protein to a pound of beef protein, you're looking at 1,200 times less water being used. You have 12 times less feed, and it's emitting 100 times fewer carbon greenhouse gases. So the environmental footprint of a cricket is a fraction of that of a cow. In other words, crickets are much more efficient at producing protein as a nutrient than our, you know, livestock. Exactly. Yeah. So obviously Mighty Cricket, you guys produce cricket-based proteins. Where do insects kind of currently fit into our diet globally and maybe more generally? 25% of the global population consumes insects on a regular basis. So it's just a natural part of their diet. And this is a spread out across 80% of the world's countries. So we think of insects as very niche, but actually a very large portion of our uh, 
our global population consumes insects every day. And when and the, for the rest of us, we're all consuming insects. We just don't realize it. So on average, we eat 385 bug bits every single day from our super, supermarket food. And that's because it's just impossible to grow and produce food, especially natural, very healthy food, without having insects be a part of that. I mean, insects are a vital piece of our ecosystem. And so they play a crucial role in diets, both in animals, um, humans, and of course, plants are very much reliant on insects. So it sounds like we in the U.S. aren't accustomed, but it's, you know, other cultures throughout the world, um, insects are much more commonplace. Yeah. In Mexico, chapulines, so those are grasshoppers. That's really big. Um, Ants are popular in Mexico. In China, the silkworm is very popular. And then in Thailand and Vietnam, uh, crickets are popular. Are there are there big variations? So knowing that there's different insects out there um, that folks are eating, are there big variations or are they all pretty efficient when it comes to turning their the food they eat into protein? The insects are pretty efficient uh, producing protein, but you do have variations in terms of your macronutrients. So um, crickets are one of the leanest forms of protein that you can get and the the insect with one of the highest amounts of protein. Whereas mealworms, you're going to have less protein, but um, a higher percentage will be in healthy fats. When it comes to water bugs versus land terrestrial bugs, you're looking at water bugs being higher in EPA, uh, which is an unsaturated fat. That's a it's a healthy unsaturated fat that is really easily digestible. So that's part of the omega three family. Interesting. So almost like you know we think of, let's say there are different sources focusing just like on protein. There are different sources of protein on a plant-based side. Some of them have more, you know, more of certain nutrients than the others. And, and the same is sort of true on, on the insect side. You have variations in terms of the other nutrients you're getting. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have um, pretty much all insects, their exoskeleton is made of chitin. So chitin is a prebiotic fiber. You'll find it in crustacean shellfish. Some people are allergic to chitin. So if they have a crustacean shellfish allergen, they're often allergic to chitin. And therefore, insects is not a good option for people with this allergen. But for the rest of us, chitin serves as a prebiotic fiber. So it promotes healthy gut bacteria. Interesting. So lots of different benefits. Well, what, I mean, what are the factors that are kind of limiting kind of wider adoption of, of insects as a food source when we think of like, you know, the Western world, if you will, Europe, the U.S. Definitely in the U.S., we have this stigma around insects. And what's interesting is 200 years ago in New England, um, lobster was considered a water bug. No one wanted it. It was fed to prisoners and servants. And now lobster is one of the highest, it is the highest priced very coveted meal across the entire U.S. So I I find that the rise of fame of lobster really interesting because it's something that can be emulated by cricket and other bugs. So the three major stigmas that I have to overcome in, here in the U.S. when marketing cricket protein to a 
American audience is that crickets are uh, they're scary, they're dirty, and they're gross. And so in our marketing, we do everything we can to try and flip that on its head and present crickets as very cute, friendly, approachable. Um, our Mighty Cricket logo you see showing a very approachable cricket who's happy, he looks adorable. And then, um, you know, people think of bugs as dirty and tainted. And really what's fascinating about the bug industry, the bug protein industry, is that it's a really clean source of protein. And so I mean clean from an environmental standpoint, but from also just a health benefit standpoint, you don't have the um, flood of hormones and you don't have high levels of saturated fat. Also, you don't have steroids, pesticides, antibiotics going into the crickets. And then lastly, um, people just assume that bugs taste gross. And that is such a a false assumption that I even had, you know, just when I tried my first cricket product, I was like, oh, it's actually not that bad. But we all have this inherent assumption that bugs taste gross. And a cricket the whole flavor profile depends on what you feed it. So I've tasted crickets that tasted exactly like pistachios. So wild. And then wow. I've tasted crickets that weren't so good tasting. They were um, kind of had this sharp, very pungent taste to it. And it just depends on the feed. So you can really dial in on an optimal flavor profile. Interesting. So almost like you know, a bee's honey depends on the, you know, the different plants that it's out pollinating. The same is true with a cricket in terms of the things it eats drives the the flavor profile. Yeah, that's a really great analogy. So what else, you know, do we need to know for those who are, are new to this? What else do folks need to know about um, insects as a, a protein source or a food source? The industry is in its infancy, um, especially in the U.S., but around the world, um, historically, those who have been consuming insects have been more rural, and there haven't been a whole lot of consumer packaged goods developed and a lot of marketing around it. So it's really the, the ones who are adopting this become the leaders for the world in building up this uh bug protein movement. And there's been an interesting uh, backlash online from a very small group of people who developed this conspiracy theory that the elitists of the U.S. are trying to get the rest of us to eat bugs while they enjoy their steaks, which (laughs) I would say is definitely not true because all of my friends who are leading the charge in the U.S., um, I know it. I know all of the players in the space because it's very small and we're very collaborative. And none of them are backed by um, the big players in the U.S. So we're all just bootstrapping and just very passionate about uh, the environment and saving the planet. So it's not this overarching conspiracy that has been portrayed on some social media platforms. Yeah, I have I have seen a little of that and, and glad you, you addressed it. Um, one other question that I'm thinking about as we're talking about insects is, you know, for those who are maybe eating more plant-based um, already, you know, obviously you have lots of good protein sources out there with plants, but I'm guessing the insect protein profile might be slightly different. Are there, you know, how, how would we think about sort of eating, 
you know, plant-based protein and insect-based protein, how do those kind of fit together? You know, are they complementary? You know, can you be substituting one for the other? I find it very complementary and I'm not against um, a vegan diet at all. The You get key nutrients from insect-based proteins that are really hard to find in plant-based proteins. So any um, – and that's across all animal proteins. They just have um, – more bioavailable nutrients. So for example, omega-3s in bioavailable form, which are EPA and uh, DHA, aren't found in plant proteins. So the omega-3s you get from avocados are in ALA form, and you have to eat nine times more avocado omega-3s to get the same level of omega-3s from, say, cricket protein. So that's kind of getting in the weeds of nutrition, but they're are, you know, vitamin B12 is very hard to find in plants. And vitamin B12 is actually really, really high in cricket protein. It's it's probably the best nutrient that cricket has to offer, in my opinion, because most Americans are vitamin B12 deficient, which causes a whole host of health problems. So it's it's really nice to incorporate some of these proteins just to like give your body the wide range of nutrients it needs and make sure that you're covering all your grounds in terms of nutrition. So I'm taking away insects for somebody who is maybe, you know, wanting for the environment or other reasons to eat more plant-based insects can be a nice complement in terms of the nutrient profile they offer. And really then you're not, you know, it's not hard to sort of get these things like B12 you said, or fatty acids that most people would say, Hey, well, this is why you have to eat a animal-based diet. You can get that with insects. You know, we're talking about insects in the context of, you know, food for people, but I'm hearing that there's a growing industry as well focused on insects for for animal feed um, as well as for for pet feed. Yeah, I think that um, pet food perhaps might be a little bit lower of a hurdle in terms of um, gaining adoption um, and chickens, of course, I mean, they love their grubs, their mealworms. So if you raise chickens, you're wanting them to eat bugs too. Um, and then when it comes to animal feed, black soldier fly larvae is growing in popularity. And Tyson just invested in a black soldier fly larvae operation where they're feeding uh, their cow intestines to the black soldier fly larvae and then getting that protein feeding back to their um, their livestock. So insects play a really crucial role in building a circular economy. Interesting. So the Tyson Foods that we all think of, big meat producer, is just pulled the trigger and is now in, in the insect protein world. Yeah, it's really exciting to see these bigger players um, finally – dip their toe or jump full into playing in the insect game because we've all overlooked I I've definitely overlooked the power of these small but mighty bugs and that's what mighty cricket is all about is elevating the small lowly cricket into something that truly is mighty so one other question you know as we're talking continue to talk about crickets as a protein source among other bugs um what do crickets eat? You know, if people are buying the, you know, cricket protein, what's the, you know, food source that's feeding those crickets in the beginning? Well, out in the wild, crickets are omnivores. So they'll eat dead things. They'll eat 
plants. They'll eat themselves. <laughs> um, they'll they'll pretty much eat whatever's in their path. But on the farm, we have a very controlled feed, and we have it controlled for flavor optimization, as I was telling you before. But also, certain things you feed it can. Um, express different levels, varying levels of that vitamin B12 that we talked about or those omega-3s. For the best flavor, we do a very mild, mildly flavored diet, and then that translates into the end product. Um, So we're we're talking grains, a lot of grains, some grasses. Grasses are really healthy for the cricket. A lot of farms will do cassava, potatoes, maybe some alfalfa trimmings. Interesting. Those are all very common uh, feeds for the cricket. So being, you know, big one being driving that flavor at the end of the day is pretty important. So controlling the diet. Yes, that's that's paramount for a human consumption. Now, when you're talking about pet food, animal feed, then the flavor isn't so important. And one of the things that we're trying at Mighty Cricket, we actually have a pilot farm going and we're pulling waste from the St. Louis food region. So 40% of the U.S. food supply ends up in landfills, which is huge. And the amount of carbon greenhouse gas emissions from food that ends up in landfills is more than the whole airline industry emissions. So this is a huge piece that can get upcycled back into the food system. We just need to figure out a good logistical way of doing that. So what we're doing is pulling all of the waste, um, well, not all the waste, (laughs) huge amounts of waste in our food system, but we're pulling waste from various food manufacturers, restaurants, grocery stores, and feeding it to the crickets and running trials to see um, what waste makes them grow well and what waste makes them taste great. And then from there, we're developing a proprietary feed based on that waste that we can then use to farm more crickets. That's awesome. So insects really are a, you know, kind of like walking biodigester, um, able to turn waste into, into food. Well, for those who are you know listening to this and excited about the prospect of insect protein, whether for the health reasons, the environmental reasons, you know what can all of us do to help ramp up the insect protein space, right? So there's you know obviously helping folks like you make this more mainstream. The first step is to give it a try. And when I started <laughs> my company five years ago, I was very nervous to try cricket protein. Um, it was not something that I really wanted to have, but the the facts were so compelling that I it helped me overcome my fears. And the easiest way to try it is in a product like Mighty Cricket, where the it, you're not eating the whole bug. It's ground into a really fine powder. And so it doesn't look any different from any other food that you're eating. And we make sure that our products taste amazing. You know, flavor is our number one most important factor. And then it's nutrition is number two for us. And we use 50% less sugar in our oatmeals. We have zero gram sugar in our protein powders. But we make sure, first and foremost, that the product tastes normal and it um, it tastes good. And then it's also approachable because you're not seeing a whole bug. And that's key. So step one is just giving it a try. And then once you try it, if you like it, share it with a friend. And that just helps with that whole word of mouth and growing awareness. 
And if you have a shellfish allergen, I don't recommend trying um, any bug foods, but you can definitely share the concept with friends and family. Great. Well, and to that end, do you have any recommendations on places folks can go if they if they want to learn more about, you know, whether it's the nutritional benefits or environmental benefits of insects? We definitely have a lot of information on our website. So it's mightycricket.com. We have a blog with lots of information about nutrition, recipes, um, the sustainability benefits, all of that. Um, that's a great resource for people to go to. Great. We'll uh, link it on our website. Well, Sarah, thanks for coming on and talking to us about an exciting and an interesting topic folks may not hear about on a regular basis, but it sounds like it's becoming more and more mainstream and obviously excited for the work you're doing and, you know, not just the climate, but also the, the health benefits that, that come with it. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jason, for having me on and for giving um, the bug protein space a platform to get our message out. Happy to. So Thomas, what did you uh, think of the interview with Sarah? Well, look, I'll be frank, I don't have that much experience with eating insects. There might have been uh, one or two that have <clears throat> I've inadvertently eaten when mountain biking, but I do see potential for it. I think it's one of those situations where today we export a lot of product um, from rural regions to cities and I definitely see the potential in using food waste in these cities to have a, let's say, a, a, a second go at um, creating food out of that nutrition um, or out of those nutrients before they're, again, exported from those regions, preferably exported back to those rural regions to grow product again and not <clears throat> dumped in the ocean as often happens today. So in that situation, I think they've absolutely got a, a future where I'm a little bit more reluctant to see them as uh, mainstream is where we end up having to grow product to feed the insects to then um, ship those to cities to feed people. How about you, Jason? Yeah, it, it seems like the where you locate your, your facility your insect farm is is really essential and as well as obviously what you feed it. I mean, you know, I know Sarah talked about it uh, impacting taste as well. So, you know, it's clear that there's large parts of the world that already eat insects. And, you know, if the Western world has an opportunity to, you know, use them as a supplemental protein source, um, I think Sarah sold me enough. I'm going to go out and probably buy a thing of Mighty Cricket Protein and uh, start integrating it into my smoothies. But I think the piece that's clearly already here is, you know, insects uh, in animal feed, you know, as a protein source. To your point, there's the potential to, to live off waste. Uh, unfortunately, in the U.S., we waste a lot of our food, upwards of 40%. And you can see, you know, you follow really the money at this point. You know, insect startups have raised uh, over a billion in, in VC since 2020. And, you know, as Sarah mentioned, you've got this recent announcement of, of Tyson, you know, a huge player in the meat space that's, you know, diving into insects. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, from our perspective, of course, everything here boils back to to climate. And you know, when, when you look at insects from uh, a feed conversion ratio and probably more importantly, um, emissions 
per you know, unit of protein produced, uh, they're definitely uh, above and beyond what can be achieved with traditional meat streams. Yeah, I was reading, and you know, as you could probably speak to this, there's a wide variation in sort of feed conversion ratios. But um, I was reading, you know, crickets in particular are roughly twice as efficient as as chickens, and chickens are pretty efficient at converting feed into protein. They're about four times more efficient than than pigs, and about twelve times more efficient than than beef. And you know, I mean. I think both from a climate and biodiversity perspective, that really tra- translates to a ton of impact, right? Uh, animals represent a big chunk of our, our farmland globally, uh, upwards of 80%. And of the emissions from food, you know, roughly two thirds of it comes from, you know, producing animal protein. And, and I think the important piece to keep in mind here is while it's taking 80% of the land and creating two thirds of the emissions, it only provides about 18% of our calories. So it really that you know that efficiency piece really is important. Yeah, I, I think that we we also need to um, keep in mind the the nutrient value of these foods. And so it's it's not just a matter of you know, units of uh, energy or protein values, but it's like, well, what is the overall nutrition of these foods so that we can you know ensure that the public don't end up with like, um, nutrient deficiencies and subsequent health problems. Um, so that's where making sure that the insects and I guess um, you know livestock in general have good balanced diets, so they are making quality quality feed. Yeah, I mean, you know, we always hear you are what you eat, um, but I I can't believe it's extremely different when we're talking about the uh, insect world or or you know animal protein. And and you know back to the uh, you know feed conversion ratios and efficiency of insect farming, I think that it's important to keep in mind that insects by themselves are, are not going to save us from this you know, climate crisis and biodiversity loss in general. This needs to go hand in hand with other mechanisms such as you know forest conservation acts, um, so that we you know stop the logging of forests and the creation of farmland to, to produce more beef, right? Because those markets for beef will continue to grow unless we go and put these measures in place that do restrict um, the logging and make beef growing in those regions less desirable. Yeah, we, we need policies that protect both forests and incentivize less resource-intensive foods. You know, and our as our vegan listeners know, the most climate-friendly protein sources of all are plants. They require far less water, land, and generate, you know, a fraction of the greenhouse gas emissions of, of livestock. Yeah. So I think this is why it's just, it is so important that we just get a price on carbon because once we have a price on carbon, the, the market will sort itself out. It will work out that, you know, the insects are a better thing to eat than beef or fish is better to eat than chicken. Who knows, right? But until we do that, until there's a true price put on the the growing of these products, we'll, we'll never really know. So completely agree with you. We definitely in the U.S. need a carbon price as well as, you know, in other countries around the world. Um, I think this all kind of leads into the question we always ask, which is, you know, what can we do? And this week, we've got a couple options. Uh, first, I want to encourage everybody to press Biden for real action at this upcoming climate conference in in Dubai. Take 
two minutes, no more than that, send him a, a quick email and tell him that we need the U.S. to align its climate targets with Paris. We're not too far off, but we still have room to go. And to pressure other nations to do the same. You know, we got to lead by example on this. And if you're going to do one thing between now and the end of the year, this should be it. We'll have uh, links on our website and potential talking points for those who want it. Uh, second option is, you know, as uh, Sarah indicated, try out some cricket protein and tell your friends about it. Uh, you know, it's high in, in iron, uh, B12, omega-3 fatty acids. So definitely a, a clean source of protein. And if you're not quite feeling that adventurous, you know, plants are uh, the most efficient when it comes to producing protein. So, you know, consider uh, meat-free Mondays. And if you want to get a few uh, insects in your diet, but um, are not sure which ones are going to be the tastiest, you can potentially get some chickens. Um, my chickens absolutely love snacking on insects and they'll work out which ones are the tastiest and they'll turn them into an egg or two for you. So another good way of putting land area around your house to use, have a few chickens pecking away in your garden, keeping the slug numbers down. Thanks, Thomas. Uh, well, that's a wrap for this week's episode. Thanks, as always, to everybody for tuning in. If you haven't already, make sure you head over to our website and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Lots of good you know, facts on climate solutions and ways to get involved. Our next episode will be coming out on December the 12th. In the meantime, go out there and take some action on climate. Climate Optimus is made possible by Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the web at climateoptimist.co and follow us on social at Climate Optimist Podcasts.